Today, we have Ani Papa Theodorou here with me today from Triple Moon Psychotherapy, and she's based out here in the San Francisco Bay Area, and she does such beautiful work around internal family systems and brain spotting, and her focus is offering therapy to those who have struggled during their childhoods, finally find peace and fulfillment in their adulthoods, and I actually stumbled upon Ani a few months ago when I was looking for a therapist for myself. And over the years, I've really learned that a lot of my challenges come from my family of origin and being a child of immigrants and all of the things that come with it and the shame and just feeling othered. And my turning point in life and in my relationship with food was when I found a therapist who uncovered that all of my issues had to do with this. And that was in college. And that really was a turning point for my relationship with food. So I hope you find this episode really helpful too. If you're experiencing any kind of stuckness when it comes to how you're behaving with others, especially if you had a really difficult childhood or had a had a childhood where you felt othered or shame and you're still dealing with that internalized shame. So I have Ani here with me. So Ani, if you don't mind, can you tell everyone where you're from and what was the path like that led you to this work? Yeah, so good to be here with you, Elise. And thanks for the invite. Let's see. So I am I'm an immigrant. Right. In 2006, I immigrated to the United States, three years in San Diego, and then I moved to the Bay Area from Greece. And I also have very strong ancestral ties and roots with with Turkey and Egypt. Let's see. In terms of the path, very kind of long and twisty one. I remember as a teenager back in college, I always wanted to study psychology. This is when I was still in Greece. And I, you know, was kind of having conversations with my parents about what it was that I wanted to do. And, you know, when they heard psychotherapy, again, speaking to Greece's culture, very much a taboo, especially 25 years ago, you know, only crazy people, according to my culture and my parents' beliefs back then, they have shifted now, but it's what it was. 25 years ago, you know, there has to be something really, really wrong with you to to seek out psychotherapy. So they're like, how are you going to profit from that? How are you going to make a business from that? How are you going to survive from that? You know, and kind of all of their fears and internalized trauma and whatever notions they had around survival was coming in and steering the conversation. And, you know, when you're 16, at least my parts, they kind of went along with that. So I ended up studying organizational and social psychology, which was kind of like an internal compromise. Yeah, I can still study the the area and go into business with it. And that's what I did for about a decade. That suffocated me, completely crushed my soul. And in like a decade ago, I decided to kind of go back honor the initial desire, which was to study clinical psychology and go into counseling. And yeah, let's just say it's been, it was one of those kind of life-saving moments because I was struggling. I was struggling very much in corporate and being completely and utterly miserable. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah. 
And I think you, you have a really compelling focus in your work. You know, I know that you mostly focus on that immigrant experience or children of immigrants. So Mm -hmm. how did you kind of folk start focusing here with this, this population? And also what are some of the challenges that you see the most come up over and over again with the patients that come to you? Yeah. I mean, being an immigrant, it's kind of like a mixed bag, right? Because there are parts of me, and again, I live in the Bay Area, and there's still parts of me that long for Greece, right? And Greece's culture, the lifestyle, the intimacy and the connection there with the land. I live and breathe the sea, right? And not any sea, like the Pacific just doesn't do it for me. I need the Mediterranean. I need the Aegean. I need the Ionian. Those are the seas that speak to me, Right. So there's that part that has that longing. And there's also a part of me, very big one, that really appreciates and loves the life that I've built here in the States. And in a certain way, it can feel like I'm in no person's land because there's another part that feels that now I no longer fully belong in Greece or to Greece, you know, and also I'm not fully accepted or or belong here. And I think that that is, especially with first-generation immigrants, a very common experience that comes into the therapy space, right? Essentially, we all want to have that internal sense of safety or that we belong or that we are accepted. Or as you said in your own, you know, when, when you talked about your experience, Elise, not being othered. So I think that's kind of like a big part of that. And a lot a lot of the work revolves around honoring all of these different aspects of our experience, all of these different parts that are holding these different experiences so that I can be in relationship with these parts, feel connected to them without them overwhelming me or without them completely overtaking and dictating how I live my life, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about myself too. And I have this, I'm drawn to cities and I'm drawn to what you were talking about too, that community. And I romanticize those big cities in, you know, Southeast Asia or Asian countries where there's just the hustle and bustle and there's this casualness with human connection. And every trip, every travel trip I plan, I never want to travel domestically. I'm, it's almost like I'm opposed to it. I want to travel internationally and get that energy. And this year I was thinking, I'm really craving an Asia trip. Like all, all of last year and all of the pandemic, I couldn't go back to a lot of the Asian countries. So this year I literally thought maybe I'll just go to multiple you know, trips to multiple Asian countries that I haven't gone to in the past few years. It just was like building up in me. Do you feel like that when you go back to Greece or do you have that kind of like longing for it sometimes? Uh, again, again, you know, some parts, yes, and others, no, right? It's it's tricky. It's tricky because while there's a part of me that wants to go and reconnect with roots and ancestry and with the land and the people there, and of course, all of my family is there, right? I mean, I, I, I made my own family here. And at the same time, I came here. I mean, my family stayed back. It's not like I immigrated here with my parents or with my sisters. And, and it is that kind of fine balance between, yeah, I have, I, I do want to go back to Greece. And at the same time, I also want to experience other cultures, right? Mm-hmm. And go to other lands and breathe different air. So, 
yeah, again, kind of a mixed bag and assessing where am I at any given point in time and what is it that I am truly desiring? And is there a middle ground, perhaps? Mm. Maybe we can marry the two in some way. And you've mentioned parts a few times now, and I think it's really <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think it's fascinating to think of our ourselves as parts, just our desires, our motivations, who we are. Yeah. Uh, so tell tell us more about these parts that you're speaking of and what that all means. Yeah. How much time do we have? <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm a I'm a certified internal family systems therapist, also known as IFS, also known as parts work, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a therapy that is very compassionate, very intuitive, very powerful, and also very respectful of every aspect of our experience that is going on on the inside, right? And it recognizes that we all have different parts, different aspects of our personalities, these these of our personality. These might show up as emotions, beliefs, thoughts, behaviors, sensations in our body. And at the end of the day, what all of these different parts of us are really trying to do are keep us safe including the parts that may be engaging in extreme or harmful behaviors. They're only doing what they're doing in order to protect us because they perceive that not doing that will only result into something much worse, right? Mm -hmm. And this includes many of our parts that are related to our relationship with food and to our relationship with our bodies, right? Mm -hmm. And generally speaking, from the IFS lens, there are three very generic umbrellas in which we see parts. We have parts that have a very proactive nature that IFS calls managers, and they want to prevent the pain no matter what. To give you a few examples of such parts, it's the perfectionist inside of many of us, right? Or that inner critic, or the desire to be liked by everyone, the part that may be caretaking or self-sacrificing, the part that wants to avoid conflict Mm -hmm. at all costs, the part that, you know, counts vigilantly our calorie intake, right? So they are very kind of proactive in nature and they want to prevent the pain, Mm -hmm. even if that comes at a cost. And then there are the other parts that are more reactive in nature that IFS calls firefighters because what they want is to kind of douse the the flame the 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 flames that might come with the experiencing of the pain and these are the ones that come in that have the motto of i need to stop the pain no matter what and here also we find a lot of these parts that are associated with our behaviors around food and how we perceive our bodies right Mm -hmm. so the part that lands us in front of the fridge even though we are fully satiated, but it's really looking to provide comfort in some other way because something on the inside just doesn't feel right, right? Mm-hmm. Or the part, and I have this one, I am I have a part that when it wants to take me out, it loves those Netflix marathons or just, you know, seeing, I don't know, five Game of Thrones episodes back to back, right? It's like, hey, it's been a hard day let me help you retreat, right? Let me help you withdraw. And again, all of this is, I don't want to, it's not like it's bad to have like a marathon on Netflix, right? But when that is the majority of what you do, well, you can see how that can interfere with other aspects of our lives, right? Mm -hmm. 
Now, what these two cluster of parts, right? The protective ones, the, the managers or the firefighters, the proactive or the reactive ones have in common is that they are both trying to protect us from the parts that IFS calls exiles. And these are essentially the ones that are carrying the pain, that are carrying the wounding and that have been hurt in some very significant way. And usually that goes all the way back to childhood, although that isn't necessarily true 100% of the time, right? Because people mm -hmm. can get hurt in their workplaces as adults as mm -hmm. well, or other systems that they're a part of, the justice system, for instance, right? Pooling mm -hmm. later on in life. These are the parts that carry that shame or that pain or that rejection, the belief that this is my fault, the belief that I'm not good enough, the belief that something's wrong with me, and, or, you know, more specifically to food, I don't deserve food, or my body isn't good enough, mm -hmm. you know, all of all of those different beliefs that just these parts hold so intricately and so deeply. So that's, I know that was a lot, but that kind of like a, a zooming out and generalization of, of IFS and how we see the different aspects that make up who we are, right? Totally. I think you explained that beautifully. And I'm just thinking back on myself. And I think a lot of the listeners have moments like this in their life where for me in undergrad, that's where I could see all of my parts in conflict with each other. For example, you know, in undergrad, my struggles with food and body were at its peak. And the manager side of things was, I want people to like me. I want to be liked by friends, by new people, by boys. So I will manage my body and it needs to look this way. So I had those mechanisms in place. But then I can also see that the other part of me, which is the firefighter, I didn't know how to like emote. Like I didn't know what emotions were. I didn't know how to cope with tough emotions at that young age. And so all of that just funneled to food. So my reactive firefighter was like, I'm feeling lonely and stressed. And these finals are stacking on me. Like I will just eat food to comfort. So that was in battle with, of course, the manager side. And then beyond that, I could see that the exiles in me were the shame, the, the shame I was carrying from childhood of like, you know, I didn't feel cool enough, good enough. My family wasn't rich enough. They weren't like knowledgeable, knowledgeable enough. They didn't know the language. And all of that just was a big snowball. And I didn't even know where to untangle. So I love that you explain it like that because I can now clearly see what the parts were doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that polarity, right? That tension between parts, that tension that can happen between the one that, you know, the more proactive one, the managerial one who wants to control things in order to bring relief to the system by counting calories, for example, right? Mm -hmm. And in opposition is the one that at 3 a.m. takes you to the fridge and has no regard for anything else except for how is it that I can, you know, quench the shame that my person is feeling right now, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. How can I bring comfort to Elise? Mm -hmm. That's what food brings us, right? Food and it, when we have a healthy relationship to food, it still brings us comfort, that sense of wholeness, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, when, when, when parts get trapped in their extreme behaviors, that's when difficulties happen. That's when internal turmoil happens and that's where ifs can be extremely powerful in mm -hmm. in helping you bring a balance back to that system mm -hmm. 
How does doing IFS work help to untangle some of these things? Well, IFS in and of itself, a system of unblending, mm-hmm. right? So it's, 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 and, and, and the beauty is that you can, you can, you know, you have a few IFS sessions and you can learn to do this by yourself, right? Like we really want to make ourselves redundant. I don't want to see a person, you know, chronically in my office or in, in Zoom sessions. I'm cheering for them to be able to take what it is that they learn and be able to unblend from these parts so that they're not governed by them, but they can be in relationship with them, even mm-hmm. outside of the therapy room, right? And yeah, fundamentally, that's what IFS does. It's, it's, it is a therapy of unblending, of, of learning how to separate ourselves from our parts, right? We are our parts and we also are distinct from them. So if I can be in relationship with any firefighter or manager part within me, there is that mindful moment of separateness where I can even engage in some dialogue. And again, there's a method to that with the part so that I can uncover what is it that it's really fearful might happen if it doesn't send me, for example, in front of the fridge at 3 a.m. in the morning, right? And by making space for our parts, listening to our parts, doing doing certain experientials that are very well held and supported within the IFS protocol, we can learn how to be with them instead of being ruled by them. I think, yeah, when I think about the parts, there are certain parts that I just don't like, right? Like I just wish it didn't have some are better. I can even see that in my friendships and my relationship where there are certain parts of someone that I really admire. And I think I wish I had that I'm not good enough or, you Mm -hmm. know, but I can see how if you can identify the parts and just neutralize it, it helps to feel not so bad about yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, in IFS, it's, it goes beyond neutralizing, right? That's mm-hmm. what mindfulness can do, mm-hmm. right? When you become an observer of a part or an observer of a behavior, you're kind of neutralizing it because you're separating from it. IFS takes it a step further where you're actually befriending that part. You're befriending that part with the intent to really listen to its story, to really understand what its fear is. And then to go to the parts that it's eventually, that it's actually protecting, right? It's protecting other parts, those exiles that are carrying the wounds. And once those parts of us that are wounded can find that healing and that relief, then our protectors don't need to show up with the same intensity or frequency or duration, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's an interesting proposition to the one that counts the calories, for instance, you know, do you enjoy what it is that you do. I think probably it would actually enjoy doing something different, right? It's not that this part of you is going to disappear, but we can repurpose it and it will repurpose itself once it knows that the one that it's protecting has found some some healing and some relief, right? Which is mm-hmm. those not good enough parts, mm-hmm. parts, right? Yeah. And it's so funny, before you explained it in such detail, I really did think parts were just, I I thought the definition of parts were like, oh, the part of me that likes this or the part of me that does this. In a way, it is kind of like that. Yeah. But before our conversation, I was taking 
I was reflecting on the people that I admire the most, the people that come across so genuine and so authentic. And those are the people in my very simple definition of parts. I thought, oh, they've embraced every part of themselves. And that's why when I look at them, whether they're talking or dancing or interacting, they're just so true. Like there's no part of them that's uncomfortable with themselves. So when I watch them interact in the world, I don't feel uncomfortable observing them. And I know a lot of your work deals with shame too, but can you kind of speak to how parts work also ties into shame and how it unravels that too? Yeah, I I love how IFS looks at shame. So let's see, where do I start? Because this can be, this is we we i we could have like a, a completely like another 40 minute po- podcast just on shame and ifs right but i what i've seen at least in in my work with people is that at the root of a lot of our emotional suffering is shame the i'm not worthy i'm not enough i don't belong i'm pathetic i'm a phony i'm a loser at the mm-hmm. core of all of these internalized beliefs is shame and essentially it's like shame and this was this was a definition of shame that was offered by Dr. Germer, who's part of the Mindful Self-Compassion Institute in one of the trainings that I took there. But I really loved what he said. And he positioned shame as one's own vicarious experience of another person's scorn. Mm. Right. I just I just really loved that and how he said that shame really arises from the universal need to be loved. Right. So it's the intense feeling that we feel or experience when we believe that we are flawed and that when we believe that we are unworthy of any kind of love or any kind of connection or any kind of belonging. You can see that a lot also in the immigrant experience. Right. Just tie it back into that. Mm -hmm. So more specifically now from the IFS lens, Shame is at the core of why our protectors show up and why it is that they work so hard and why it is that they do what we do. It's kind of like the shame can be the organizing principle, right, for our internal system. We like to feel that we are good people. We like to feel that other people see us as good people, right? And I'm using good very loosely. Mm -hmm. So when we get the message internally, or externally that there is doubt that we are a good person that can be unbearable for our parts, right? Our system has to do something to lower the intensity of that experience, which we call shame. Mm -hmm. And it's that experience of having our lack of goodness, right? Or having our badness, our badness witnessed, whether it's by our own parts or by other people's parts. And then this is kind of how shame shows up and how it runs the system. And unfortunately, it's commonly therapeutically because we walk away thinking that we might be suffering from anxiety or from depression, when in fact, from an IFS lens, anxiety and depression are the ways that our system deals with shame, Mm. right? So to kind of oversimplify this, our anxious parts that are really worried and concerned that our badness will be seen or that we lack goodness are working really hard to protect us from that right Mm -hmm. and when our anxious parts get really amped up that's when depression or parts that carry depressive traits or depressive qualities show up because they really want to mitigate 
the agony that our anxious parts are bringing, right? So we don't experience necessarily anxiety and depression as disorders from the IFS lens. We experience them as strategies that our internal system has developed in order to deal with that shame. Mm-hmm. And that shame is what is trapped and locked within those exiled, wounded parts. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that, I can... that respond to the question? Yeah. <laughs> I think shame is one of those things where I don't know why I'm just thinking about examples for myself. It's like shame is one of those things where it could really get trapped deep and can never escape. I think, you know, personally, this might help other people relate, but I feel like I grew up with a chip on my shoulder of being ashamed of my parents and my upbringing. And it's like, I feel like that is so deep in the core of my, who I am that I don't even know how to let it out. So why in the world do we have shame and like, how do we let it go? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are really listening again with IFS for the parts that are trying to deal with all of this, that are trying to deal with shame, even if it means that we have extremely harsh parts showing up, right? Or extreme firefighting parts, including suicidal parts and self-harming parts parts that are very, very hard to be with, right? But it, but again, from the IFS lens, every part has a benevolent intent. Mm. Every part is trying to protect us. So imagine if we can actually form a relationship with the parts that want to harm us, with mm. the parts that want to cut us, with the parts that want to take us out. Why do they want to do that? They want to alleviate the suffering. They don't mean harm, right? They cause harm, but they don't mean it. So again, it's it's how we can help ourselves get relationship even with those extremely difficult parts so that we can unblend. Mm-hmm. And that can be taught. That's mm-hmm. the good news, right? Mm-hmm. That we that we can separate enough from this part so that we can be in relationship instead of controlled by it, including mm-hmm. extremely difficult parts. I'm not saying I'm not gonna say that this is a an easy process right it can involve a lot of discomfort and at the same time there's a lot of trust in your own system to follow its pace so that i mean it's trauma responsive therapy right it mm-hmm. doesn't want to re-traumatize any of your parts while you're doing the work so mm-hmm. we really honor that protective system and we work with that we don't bypass it mm-hmm. yeah we get to shame right so we we won't just jump to exiles Mm -hmm. we want to work with protectors first so that they can give us permission in a way to go to them to the ones that carry the wounds right it's like opening the door first and then going in deeper Yeah, this work is so fascinating. I I just feel like this is the first time I'm getting such an in-depth kind of learning on this. And you know, what can someone gain by being friends with all of their parts and embracing all of these parts? Yeah, I I think it like I it's great. It's awesome when we embrace all of our parts, right? I mean, the motto in IFS is all parts welcome, right? And the founder his one of his most recent books is titled No Bad Parts. So that kind of really gives you an idea about what IFS is all about and that embracing of the totality of our experience. But I do want to put an asterisk here, right? Because when we say embracing all of our parts, 
I don't mean or no IFS therapist means that we want to empower, endorse or placate parts that are engaging in harmful behaviors. Mm -hmm. Right. We don't cheer them on. Right. But what we can do is facilitate the process in having an honest and compassionate dialogue with them. Again, being in relationship with them, speaking for them, not from them. Right. So that they feel appreciated and understood for all the hard work that they do for us. Right. My critic, therefore, can perhaps transform into more of like a champion or an advocate instead of having this harsh tone telling me that I'm pathetic all the time. So that's kind of the caveat. Yes, it's all about embracing, but not placating, not empowering, not endorsing harmful harmful behaviors. But we do that in a non-shaming way, mm -hmm. right? And we don't do it by getting into an argument with a critic or trying to change its thought patterns. We mm -hmm. do it by opening space for the critic, understanding its function, understanding what it is that motivates it, understanding what it is that is it's trying to protect so that we can approach this part of us in a much more nuanced, validating and transforming, hopefully, you know, and we yeah. can do that with all of our parts, but because our parts are our humanity at mm -hmm. the end of the day, there are, and, and there are no enemies on the inside. And that's the paradigm shift when we can actually stop fighting with ourselves revolutionary is that right mm -hmm. yeah i mean i see this all the time in my patients when we're doing body image work of you know there's a part of me that wants to like my body and there's a part of me that just can't and yes. i think you know whenever i think about this it's i think of it through the lens of this quote i think it's by carl rogers acceptance sets you free and judgment keeps you bound and i love that because that's kind of the start of it all so for someone who is grappling with, you know, I want to like myself more, I want to embrace all of these things, but I just can't right now, like what can, you know, parts work do for that kind of person? Well, you just named the part, right? The part that carries the, the belief that I should like my body more, but I just can't, right? So, I mean, in a... In an IFS session, we would get curious about that one. Mm. Right. We would notice how you experience this part, how it might show up in or around your body. Right. There's a big somatic component to IFS as well. It's part of why I also love it because our parts live in our body. Right. So really understand what its fears are, listening to its story. Perhaps, you know, giving it the space to tell us why is this part fearful? of letting go of this belief. Why is this part, what is this part fearful might happen to Elise if she stopped having this belief? I wonder mm -hmm. what it is that we might uncover there if we approach it with more curiosity, hopefully compassion and less stigma, mm -hmm. right? And really kind of befriending it and kind of facilitating the process of going in and having kind of this deep inquiry into ourselves, but from a safe and secure place that IFS enables to happen. Now I'm going to jump a little bit, and this is a more personal ask, but say someone is ashamed of their upbringing or just what they went through, and there's still a part of them that doesn't like themselves, right? What What could be the, how would you navigate that? that type of person? 
maybe a little more specific. Mm. You know, maybe it's the the immigrant, the the child of immigrants who just there's there's a part of them that just still feels almost resentment, resentment, or this inferiority complex of how they grew up and assimilating to life as an adult. There's still a part of them that feels like a chip on their shoulders or inferiority. How can they let go of that? Yeah. Again, to, to use the IFS lens, right? Being mm-hmm. curious about that part of you that still carries that shame or that sense of inferiority or has that chip on its shoulder around your upbringing, your past, about who you are. Again, like more likely than, th- than not, that part is also trying to keep you safe from experiencing something that it deems even more dangerous. Mm-hmm. Right? So by deeply listening and understanding this part's role in your system, you can help unburden what it protects that can actually lead then to less shame, less ex- more acceptance and more, I don't know, for me, it was, it's, it felt more free on the inside. I mean, essentially, it's, it's, it's a practice also in self-compassion. What would you say to a friend that presents themselves with such shame? Do you mm. still be talking to them in the same way that you talk to yourself? Right. And can we help build that relationship with our parts so that we treat them with the same kindness, understanding and support that we might give a friend who is suffering from something similar? We don't talk to people on the outside or to our friends the same way that we talk to ourselves. Why is that? Right. It's those parts. It's those parts that are really trying to keep us safe, but can ultimately wreak havoc on the inside. Yeah. The example that I'm thinking of is like, you know, those kids in middle school or maybe even like younger, the ones that are just really shy and they're just embarrassed about everything, right? Like talking weird or laughing weird. And when I think about those kids and I probably used to be one of those kids, I I wanted to now as an adult, I wish I could shake them and be like, you're great. Like, why are you so, you know, self-conscious about this, how you talk or how you laugh or how you walk? There's no reason to be. And I think, yeah, the part of them is just trying to protect them from not being liked, right? All they want to be is to be liked. So it is very gentle to think of it in that way. Yeah. I mean, when we shake our parts, when we tell them to stop feeling the way that they're feeling, or when we kind of shove shove them aside, right? Or repress an an experience or, or an emotion because it's hard to sit with, for example, the inferiority, well, it might help. For how long, right? Will it last 10 minutes? Will the shame come back in a day? Will it come back in a week? Will it come back in a month? That's what happens, right? Because we haven't unburdened any of these beliefs. They're still there. We're just finding other ways. Our our other managers or firefighters are coming in to distract and soothe from that, right? So again, from the IFS lens, you would have to work with all of those, all of those cluster or constellation of of parts. But I had a similar experience. I mean, I do want to mention I'm I've been an immigrant twice in my life. So mm-hmm. in in my late 20s, early 30s, that's when I immigrated to the States in in 2006. But also when I was 9 months old, I was born in Athens, Greece, but my parents because of work, they immigrated to London mm. in the UK. And I finished elementary school there. And then when I was 10 or 11, they immigrated back to Greece. Mm. So that was extremely complicated because when I, when, when I was in the UK growing up, I felt different. 
But then even when I returned to my birthplace, talk about difference there, because I would mm -hmm. engage with other middle schoolers, right, or other people in junior high. And my Greek, my Greek would sound weird, because it would have a British accent. Yeah, talk about that shame there, right, or not mm -hmm. fitting in or that othering or the bullying mm -hmm. that happened, to be honest, right? Yeah. Downright bullying. Yeah. It's it's really interesting how big of an impact moving and being an immigrant has on a child and anyone for that matter. And just thinking about it more and more at the heart of it, we're always trying to be liked and, you know, conform. And it's it's almost it it sounds trivial, like, oh, like being liked. Why is that such a big deal? But it's truly at the core of everything. And I had a therapist say, you know, you had a little T, like a little trauma. Like before I thought, why? Why is this like when she said the word trauma? I was like, no, no, no. I just was an immigrant. I don't know what you're talking about. This isn't trauma. But she's yeah. like, no, it's like kind of a little trauma, you know, and it's true, like all of these are jarring experiences for someone who's so young. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's, you know, big T trauma, right? When there's like a single acute event that happened, that's happened in our lives that, you know, might be causing us a lot of suffering. Right. And then also there's like these repeated chronic ritualized experiences or exposure to things that seem little but you know you add them up right the the teacher that talked to you disparagingly and told you that you don't belong in this in this class because it's too advanced for you mm -hmm. right or 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 the neighbor for example that might have heard your accent and was like no but really where do you come from where, I mean, a, a little soul, how does it interpret that in that moment? I don't belong here. Mm -hmm. Right. So it doesn't have to be something big that leads to us having that internalized experience of shame or othering or non-belonging, right? Mm -hmm. Not enoughness, whatever it is. I love how you mentioned that because that's exactly it. You know, I remember at the grocery store at like seven or eight years old, my parents didn't know how to punch in their phone number to, and like swipe their credit card. So I would do that as a seven-year-old and exactly that. I like, I don't, they don't belong here. I barely belong here. And I think, you know, that could have been the start of like, I'm not enough. We're not enough. Why are we here? You know, that enoughness comes a lot from that. I can imagine. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I had someone, you know, I was walking my my dog and this is when I was living in, inside the city of San Francisco. And there was this other person who was also walking their dog. Um, and, you know, our dogs kind of started sniffing each other. And then the other dog kind of bared some teeth. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I, I pulled mine back and, and I said something, hey, can you, can you please mind your dog, you know, or something like that, because you can see mine is scared. And as soon as I said something, and I opened my mouth, and you can hear my accent. The, the thing that I received was, well, who are you to tell me what to do? Mm -hmm. Just go back to where you belong that that thing which you you know the immigrant experience i'm just like holy christ i'm here just you know walking my dog for freaking sake right mm -hmm. so that is horrifying and so maddening 
But yeah, it's just, you're right. It's these little moments that only add up. And I think the last thing that comes to mind to summarize this part of the conversation is just because you're different doesn't mean that you're not enough. You know, just because you're different, you are still enough. I think if everyone can embody that and believe that, I think the world would would be a better place. And a lot of that shame would probably kind of go away. But if you were to say something to anyone out there who's listening, what would you want to let them know about, you know, you or, you know, just anything you want to impart on the audience? For the immigrant experience or, Mm -hmm. yeah, well, for me, it was important to really integrate that I can be respectful of my family and my family values and my roots. And I still can be true to myself as an evolving human being, you know, living in the United States now. Uh, Boundary work was extremely important to me, honoring my needs without erasing ancestry or heritage in order to fit in, Mm. right? And also finding looking to work with a therapist who would not diagnose my culture as the reason for whatever it is that my symptoms were were, or you know from my lens now from my fs why my parts were there and why my parts were showing up right because that can also happen in therapy unfortunately Mm -hmm. we might be working with someone who isn't very much aware or you know the someone who might give you the response of and they mean well right they mean well but they're like can't you tell your mother that's going to visit to just stay in a hotel that is an anathema to some of my parts that hold very strongly to their ancestry and heritage because you know to the greeks hospitality Mm. is big even to strangers and you're telling me that I should find my mother a hotel <laughs> right but but it's well intentional but it's also very it's it's a western lens mm. right it's 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 the it's, it's just not it it's, does not account for my experience within my own culture and how it is that we see family right that's a beautiful sentiment of you know there's there's so much to to reflect on and so much to kind of understand about yourself. And I think your work as a therapist doing this is so impactful, especially in the Bay Area and in a melting pot like California. So if people want to learn more about you or learn more about the work that you do, where can they find you? Well, I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm in private practice and they can go to triplemoonpsychotherapy.com and check it out. I have a pretty extensive site about how I work, who I work with, explaining IFS. I also do brain spotting, which is another trauma-informed modality that perhaps, I don't know, we can talk about in another podcast, triplemoonpsychotherapy.com. Ani is always booked, so her roster is quite full, but she's amazing, as you can tell, probably. So thank you so much for coming on, Ani, and I can't wait to you know continue to follow your work. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Craving Food Freedom Podcast. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and please leave a review. I love hearing from you. Until next time, I will be right here rooting for you always on your ongoing journey towards food freedom.